Everybody, welcome to another episode of Hot Boxing. I am Evan Britton. And I'm Mike Tyson. Boom! In the house. Mike, we got a great guest, a legend. Yes. A champion. From the beginning. One of the OGs, Ken Shamrock. Well, thank you very much, man. I'm I hey listen, I'm honored to be sitting at the table here. Did you start the lions then? I did. Wow. Take us to that. Yeah, it's uh I remember when I was going over to Japan, uh, they hadn't started it here. Um, the bare knuckle, no rules. It hadn't started. So when I went over and actually saw this this um, videotape of what these guys were doing, because one of my students had actually showed it to me and said, hey, look what these guys are doing over there. And I was looking at it. I was going, wow. I mean, they're literally punching like open hand strikes. And then they're kicking and kneeing. And then when they went to the ground, they were like, doing all these like leg locks and arm bars. And I was like, what is that? I mean, I never saw anything like that before. You either were a striker or you were a wrestler. And at that time, I was more of a wrestler. And so I saw that. I said, man, I don't want to do that. So I got with a friend of mine who was doing pro wrestling. His name was Dean Malenko. Great shooter, great wrestler. So he introduced me to his dad, which had Sammy Saranaka, who was the promoter for Japan uh, in Florida. And so I flew out there to do a tryout. <clears throat> And my tryout consisted of fighting four different guys in the gym. They weren't from Japan. They were American guys that were already going over there. And where I came from, I came from group home in the streets and kind of grew up rough. And so for me, fighting was a natural thing for me. So when I went into the gym, I basically did dirty boxing and and wrestled them to the ground and just beat the snot out of these guys who were supposedly these trained guys from Japan. <laughs> I was like, I felt I felt pretty good. Like, wow, okay. <clears throat> Well, then Sammy calls me up and says, hey, how'd you like to come to Japan and, and, uh, and uh, you know, visit our facilities and stuff like that? I said, yeah, sounds good. So I go down there, and I remember when I walked into the dojo, right after I got off the plane, they picked me up, it was a 12-hour flight. They picked me up, they drive me to the dojo, and they said, okay, gear up. And I was like, huh? I was like, oh, now? And he said, yeah, yeah, gear up. So I said, all right. So I put my gear on, and I'm standing there warming up, and these two young boys come in. And he says, okay, uh, go with the... Uh, and, you know, this young boy. And so I go with him and I pretty much dominate him, just beat him up. Oh, I was about 20 minutes or so. So he puts in the other young boy and he's like, okay, go with him. So, oh, cool. so I go with him and I'm, I'm feeling pretty cocky right now. So I get in, I start thumping him. Bah, bah, I throw him around. Boom, boom, boom. And he says, okay, good. Well, as I'm sitting there, these other two guys walk in. And these two guys that I see now are Masakatsu Funaki and Minoru Suzuki. The two guys that I saw on the tape fighting. And I was like, that's those dudes there. And I was like, what are they doing here? <laughs> well, come to find out, they were going to be there for me. <laughs> so, Sammy goes, hey, you still got more in you. And of course, me, I'm, I never turned down a fight. I was like, yeah, I'm good. So he throws in Suzuki. 12 hours on a plane, uh, 12, two yeah, sparring right, matches right. already. But, I mean, I literally did handle these guys, and I think those guys weren't there to really shoot on me, I, even though I probably could have beat them because they were young boys. But I think they were there just, just to kind of warm me up. Uh-huh. Those two guys walked in to see whether or not I would go ahead and go with them after I was tired a little bit because this was all a test. So I was like, yeah, let's go. Well, the first guy comes in. It's Minoru Suzuki. 
He's probably 180 pounds, maybe 5'9". So he's a smaller guy. I'm going about 220, right? And I'm benching 605. I'm a strong guy. <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I got wrestling background. I got boxing, a little bit of dirty boxing. And I was like, yeah, I'll squash this guy. So we get going, and I take him down. I slam him on top of him. And next thing I know, I wake up. Whoa. I'm Whoa. like, I'm like uh, did I win? <laughs> like, he's standing above me going, hey, he's handing his hand out to me. And he's saying something Japanese. I'm like, what happened? So he goes, he, Sammy goes, you want to go some more? And I was go, yeah, of course. I'm not thinking, what just happened to me? So I get down and I start wrestling again. And next thing I know, I'm, he's got me in his leg lock and it hurts. But yet I'm fighting like a dog just trying to get out. And Sammy's going, tap. You know how to tap. And I'm looking at him, what, are you, what, what are you saying? Like, remember, nobody knows what tapping is. Nobody understands what that is. No one said, hey, we're playing uncle. They said, fight. So I was like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. And he says, man, if it hurts especially in training, just tap the mat and he'll, he'll let go. So he tells me after about five minutes, this guy torquing on my leg and I'm like trying to fight to get out and I'm not showing any pain. It's hurting, right? And he's going, if it hurts, tap. I was like, what? So I tap. The guy beats me up, literally just thrashes me, 180 pound guy for 20, 25 minutes. So I, after he gets done, he's like, okay, good. And he says, uh, you ready to go a little bit more? And of course, me, I said, absolutely. I'm not going to quit. I'm not giving up, man. So here comes Fanaki. Now, Fanaki's about six foot six one, about 205 pounds. So he's much bigger. Now I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this little guy just killed me. I saw those <laughs> two guys fighting and he won. <laughs> so I said, bring it. So I went after him too. The same thing. I just got beat up, just tortured. And so after it was over, <clears throat> Sammy goes, okay, you good? And I said, no. We can go some more. Got somebody else. And I was beat up. But I just, I felt like, man, I, I wanted to do more because I felt like I let myself down. I let everybody else down. And I just wanted to try to try to prove myself even more. But he said, no, 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 it's good. And I said, are you sure, man? I could do more because I thought like I blew it. And he said, no, 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 it's good. Good, good. Well, they send me home and I get a call like a month later. And the whole time I'm thinking I blew it. Man, these guys don't like me. Well, he calls me back and says, how would you like to fight? And I was like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. He says, why don't you come up to Japan for a little while and we'll train you and get you prepared for the fight. And so I flew up six weeks before the, the fight that we were supposed to have. And I remember training every single day. I spent my whole day in there. It was like a dojo. They fed me. Um, those guys slept there, but I slept somewhere else. But I ended up staying there from six in the morning till six at night. And I constantly trained every day with the young boys. When I had my fight, I won my first fight. Now, the whole thing on that was what Sammy was trying to find out was, which is, do you have the heart of a warrior? Do you have the ability to never give up and not quit? That's what they were looking for. And that's how I actually structured my dojo, because it didn't matter how much skill you had. It didn't matter how good you were or how athletic you were. What it mattered to them and to me was whether or not you had the mentality of never giving up and always fighting to be better. And that's literally where I got it from. It's the fighter spirit, the warrior spirit. Yeah, that's what it's all about. You've talked about that, Mike. That's what it's all about. You know, some of these guys don't even look like much. You know, they look really skinny guys. They look to wear glasses. You know, they never curse. Then they get in the ring, they beat the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. It, just, yeah. It, it doesn't have to do with the per- It's something with the mind. It's something with the brain. Because some people are almost like... They never talk. They're introverts, and they're great fighters. Well, it was just like, I mean, you look at uh, Suzuki. When he came in, I mean, he was 
I mean, he was a small guy. He was 5'9", 180 pounds. He did not look like much. But boy, did I find out different. Because, <laughs> listen, when you were in uh, the UFC, there was no weight limit. No, man. Oh, I can remember the— Your feet might have been fighting a guy 80 pounds heavier. <laughs> Right? 100 pounds. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, over 300-pound dudes in there. It was awesome, too, because you think about it, man, it was literally style against style. Yeah. Did you ever fight Dan Severant? I did. I fought him twice. Yeah. I beat him the first time, and then the second time we went to a distance, a draw. He was running, right? He was running around. Yeah, yeah, that was the—and I know Severant hates this, but that was the worst fight in UFC history (laughs) And I was a part of that fight. Uh, I was partially uh, blamed for that fight. Uh, it was bad. <laughs> fuck. It was bad. <laughs> Did he just not want to fight? No, it wasn't him. I think it was a little both of us. Severin Hank came in because the first time I fought him, I choked him choked out quickly. Him out quick. uh, so the second time he came in, he had the strategy of like, okay, I'm not going to shoot on him. Uh, He's going to stay around the outside and make me attack him. The only problem with that was that before that, I had broken my nose in training, and I fractured a little rib, and I also had a meniscus tear in my knee. So going into that fight, obviously, I couldn't back out of the fight. And they took away – that was the time where they actually came in and said, if you punch, we're going to arrest you. Like, it's illegal. You can't do that. And uh, just two weeks prior to that, over the border there in Canada, they literally arrested the main event because they told them the same thing, and they went ahead and punched. Well – the USC came in and said, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll we're going to find you guys at our leisure." So in other words, they were basically saying, "We'll warn you a couple times, ten times, um, and then we'll find you after that." So really, what they were doing was saying, "Go ahead and do it. Uh, we'll abide by the rules, but we'll do it through warnings and things of that nature." Well, I chose not to do that. I chose not to punch because I had a group home for kids. I was teaching kids you can accomplish anything you want in life as long as you stay within the rules. You can push the boundaries a little bit. But stay in the rules. You will be able to accomplish whatever you want in life. Go get it. And then I was asked and put in that situation to where I was told that it was okay to break the rules because even though they were laid down, it was okay to do that because we weren't going to do anything other than fine you – or not fine you, but warn you several times uh, even though there will be no fine on the end of it. And I just felt like that in my position and what I was representing at the time with those kids that I was sending the wrong message uh, to those kids that were young and that they were up and coming and trying to find where they belonged in life and how they were going to live life, that I just didn't want to represent that. So I chose not to strike. And unfortunately, because I chose that and because of the way the fight was, not that it was Dan's fault either because he had a strategy of not losing because if I got him on the ground, I'd beat him. Uh-huh. So he was hoping that I would come in on him and he would get top position. And uh, because of the, the different natures of where he was at and where I was at, that's the kind of fight we had. It was horrible. Uh, interesting. Yes. Very interesting. Now, you guys have met before. You guys are old friends. Yes. Absolutely. I saw, that wasn't your last fight with Gracie. Was that your last fight I saw? Was that in Norfolk, Virginia somewhere? No, you mean the one where he <laughs> lifted my nuts into my throat? Yeah, he kicked him in the <laughs> Oh, no. Kicked him in the ball. <laughs> yeah, and the ref didn't see it. Oh. Imagine that. <laughs> Where was that at? In Virginia, right? Oh, man. Where was that one at? Um, that was Norfolk. No. I don't even remember where that was at. Um, was that in Norfolk? I thought it was. Yeah. I don't remember where it was at because I'm still trying to find my nuts. <laughs> that, was, that was a tricky one. Yeah. We had him here, too. Hoist was here, right? Yeah. 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 Here's the thing with Hoist, man. What a, What's your beef with him? There's really no beef there, you know. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that just, you know, I get into a fight, I get in people's no, I'm heads. I'm talking about personality. 
I, you know, I, <clears throat> I have character. I have a certain thing that I follow. When a guy, at least I would, and I think most fighters would, when you hit somebody in the nuts and you know you did, you don't go, well, that's the way we used to fight. It was like, what? It's like, now you're saying you did it on purpose. And then not right. have any remorse about it, right? Literally just go like, oh, well, that's, you know, oh, well, it happened. Uh, that's the way we used to fight. He should have been ready for it. And I was like, dude, it, you, you have so much uh, credibility in this sport. So much people want to honor you for because of what he's done in the sport. And then you have that kind of character where you're like, oh, yeah, um, that's just the way it is. I, I, and then not want to, like, literally fight me again. Like I said, dude, that was a low blow. Let's do a rematch. And literally, he doesn't want the rematch because, in my opinion, the only reason why he hit me low was because he knew he didn't want to be in the ring with me. And I that think was you his and him had a rivalry. I think that you and him had a rivalry. Yes, it was a rivalry. Yeah, no question. And, and his, you can't take away anything that guy's done. It was tremendous. But, man, just to, for, for... Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, to, to have that kind of... Nine little brass to be able to to sit there and and accept the fact you need somebody in the nuts and that's okay with you that mm. that that bothers me yeah mm. that bothers me. Who's the greatest fighter you ever fought? I would probably have to say uh, Masakatsu Fanaki. Uh, he helped train me, and so for me to fight him and be my trainer and be able to beat him, that right there was really when it told me that you know okay I'm getting where I need to be to be a professional fighter. Uh, his his uh, his ceiling was my floor. And um, that's a sign of a true uh, teacher, somebody that really wants you to succeed. And so I was able to do that. And so when I fought him the first time, man, it was it was tough because almost like he knew he was already in my head, like he knew where I was going all the time. Don't you think time is such a fascinating thing? Know why I believe it's fascinating? Because that's the only thing on this planet that we don't have much of. Mm. And we can't get much of it. We can't get it back. We can get money back. We can get revenge. We, you know, but we can't get the time back. It's the only thing that we use. The word I want to say: frivolously. Yeah, frivolously. Yeah. We take time for granted. We do. Well, speaking of time, finding a high-quality, good-looking watch without breaking the bank is no easy task, Mike. I know you've had some nice watches in your day. Ooh, I had some of the best. Yeah, I had some really good watches. Well, these watches are dope as hell. It's our newest sponsor, Vincero Watches. Vincero? Yes, sir. Vincero creates exceptionally crafted watches, and they do it without costing you an arm and a leg. These watches are really fly, and they make you feel unstoppable. Mike, can I tell you, my rookie year... One of my first purchases, I bought myself like a $14,000 Breitling. Really? And, you, dude, you know what? It fucking, I, I have to say it was not my, the best money I've ever spent, you know? I've spent 400000 on watches. Jesus. I've spent millions on watches. I just, and I don't know where they are. Right. <laughs> exactly, dude. They're gone. That Breitling's <laughs> gone. Where they at? Who fucking oh, stole my watch? <laughs> Go. See ya. <sighs> Woo, baby. Dude, so, Mike, I'm telling you, man, these watches are awesome. I'm wearing the Rogue model in black and rose gold it looks right stunning. now. And I, Absolutely stunning. I have to tell you, man, it's stunning. I'll admit, I, I'm feeling pretty fresh, brother. Listen, man, um, fresh is an understatement. <laughs> 
Thank you. That is really stunning. Well, you also inspired me with the turtlenecks. Well, thank you. I like turtlenecks. It's hard to find a good turtleneck. Oh, my wife got me two of them for yeah. Christmas. I, I feel fly as fuck. I love turtlenecks. Yes. Well, Mike, tell our listeners, since they're listening to this podcast, what they get. Because you're listening to this podcast, they're offering you loyal hot boxing listeners a great discount. That's right. So head over to VinceroWatches.com. That's Vincero, V-I-N-C-E-R-O, spelled like Vincero, pronounced like Vincero. Go to the website and use discount code Tyson. This deal is too good to pass up. Use my code Tyson for your discount and you'll get it. That's it, baby. Vincero. 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 So, Mike, I'm going to tell you this story about my buddy. It's the night before our spring football game at Arizona. And we're getting ready to go see Superbad. And we're stoked. And he comes into my room, and he's white as a sheet. And he looks at me, he's like, I need to take a look at something. I'm like, all right, man. And he pulls down his pants, and he lifts his nuts up. And he's got got a gash in his nutsack. And I'm like, dude, whoa, whoa. Is it a talk? Is it a talk? Swear to God. I swear to God this is real talk. I'm not fucking making this up. We were like... Dude, what in the hell did you do to cut your nuts like that? He's like, oh, I was using a beard trimmer. This is crazy shit. That's why I'm glad support for hot boxing comes from Manscaped, who is the best and safest in men's below-the-belt grooming. It's 2020, and you know what that means. New year, new me, new balls. Yeah, make it your New Year's revolution and get your act together and stop being a hairy pig. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts like my buddy. Big time, but Manscaped accents are finally a thing of the past. Thank God. Don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls, Mike. Ah, wow, that's disgusting. I can't believe somebody would do that shit, man. I know, right? So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off your order with promo code Tyson. Hey, start the year off right by using the best tools for the job. Use promo code Tyson at manscaped.com. Get it, baby. Your balls will thank you. Very kindly. Ken, talk a little bit about where you grew up and where you come from, because I know that's, that's really so much of the DNA of your fighting spirit. Yeah, I was uh, I was born in Georgia, um, in Macon, uh, and I was at Warner Robins Hospital. And my biological mother uh, was a go-go dancer. Of course, you know, in those days, stripper, dancer. And we were left home quite a bit. I have two older brothers. One's doing life in prison right now. The other one's, you know, surviving. <laughs> um, they went in some bad directions, just as I did as a young kid. And, Fighting all the time, you know, uh, 10 years old, I had a strong arm robbery, um, got stabbed uh, behind a store in, in, a, in a fight, ended up in a hospital with a, with a knife in my arm, and 10 years old, I uh, was a ward of the court, uh, became, uh, my parents became the judge and the probation officer. I went through several placements, very angry, very frustrated, hated the world. Anybody that said anything to me, I would fight them. Um, at a drop of a hat, no matter how big or small they were, I just had no 
thought of what I was doing. I just wanted to kill something. I wanted to fight somebody. I just wanted to release that anger and that frustration I had inside of me. And um, so I went through several placements. And unconsciously, I was searching for something better because all these other homes I went to, it just felt like I was a number. I wasn't a person. They weren't like treating me as an individual. They didn't care what my problems were. They just said, hey, do your time. We'll send you home. But yet they weren't trying to fix me. Like they weren't trying like, what's that going to do? That's not going to help me. But unconsciously, I didn't know that. I just knew I wanted something better. I'd failed a bunch of them. I ended up uh, in in juvenile hall. I remember the probation, probation officer came to me and said, hey, this is your last chance. If you fail this placement, you're going to go to California Youth Authority. And I was like, oh, wow. I mean, I'm 10 years old, right? Okay, what well, big deal, right? You're going to give me three squares, three squares a meal and I'll hang out with my friends, right? It wasn't even a threat. I didn't think anything of it. So I ended up going to the Shamrock Boys home. After failing all those different placements, I was probably around 13 years old at the time. I entered the Shamrock Boys home. My original last name was Kilpatrick. I ended up there, and the first thing I noticed was that when Bob Shamrock took in, I was with two other boys that the probation officers brought us up, and he sat down, and he literally sent the probation officer off with some coffee and some cookies with our cook that was there, and he talked to us. I mean, like that never happened. They sent us off, and they talked to the probation officer. Well, he sat us down under this bar, and it had like Coke and cookie and ice creams, all this thing in this bar thing, and it was like... I mean, we walked into this house. It was a mansion. And I was like, dude, this is the wrong house. And I literally thought to myself when I walked into this place, I was like, I don't belong here. Like this, I can't live here. I'm not wearing a tie at dinner. I'm not going to, you know, everything was weird to me. It was like, there's, what's the catch? And uh, so when I got there, I was really defensive. And in fact, in my mind, I felt like I was going to run away, steal everything as much as I could. And I would run away, sell it and you know, how, the, how as young people think that we can make the money last. So I was thinking about all these other things that I could steal and run away, but I, something just kept me there. And it was just more, I think it was more curiosity. What's the deal? Now, I remember as I stayed there longer and longer, the things that were happening were, I remember there was this kid who was a great artist. He went to school and he was more introvert. Like I was outward. I wanted to beat people up. Everything you knew, you could see. Well, some of them were like smoking weed or they were into drugs or they were into rapping or singing. They were more inward, right? And they would let it out through art or whatever else, singing or whatever else, right? Well, me, it was through violence. (laughs) And uh, so here's this kid. Like he goes to school and he's going to continuation school and he draws this picture in school where he was like killing all these people. And he's standing on top of the bodies and literally with this blood everywhere and it said, kill them all. And so the teachers freaked out. Oh, my goodness, this kid's sick. And they sent him home. Well, when he gets home, I remember my, my, my mom <clears throat> looked at the picture and she goes, wow, that's good. Because it was really a good drawing. I mean, it was really good, very talented. Wow. But what was on the picture was like disturbing, right? right? But she saw through that because he was releasing something. But she saw the talent. And so she said, after multiple discussions with them, said, you know, you can take an hour. We had a study hour, an hour study hour. You could take that hour and that you can literally draw whatever you want to draw. But part of that hour, I want you to draw an addition onto this house. So take that time. We want this, this, and this. But the other time you can draw what you want, whatever you want. So he draws this addition and it comes out like beautiful. She says, well, how are you going to build it? He's like, what do you mean? He says, well, where are the specs? I mean, 
how far is the measurements to where, when, where? And the kid goes, uh, uh. so she says, well, you know, why don't you go figure that out? So literally put somebody with him to help him actually understand the architect part of that, of that drawing. That kid went on to college and became an architect, right? Only because somebody saw the talent in his aggression and anger. Well, same thing happened to me, right? I mean, I was outward with it. My father, or adopted father, Bob Shamrock, put me in sports. He put mm. me in football. Yeah. And I remember, man, the first time I hit somebody in a, in a practice, I hit him so hard he was blowing snot bubbles. I mean, I yeah. hit him hard. You were like, fuck yeah. I, I mean, I, they gave me a plastic helmet, plastic shoulder pads, and I just, I just like, ah! And I just hit people. And people thought I was on crack yeah. drugs because I was so intense. <clears throat> I became relevant because I was good at something. Before that, I was a punk kid that was going to die before I was 18. Now, all of a sudden, I got coaches helping me with my homework, making sure I get good grades. I got teachers that are helping me. I'm, 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 girl, I'm dating the head cheerleader. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he, girls came. I think about that. Like, here I was. Everybody would look at me like I was weird and I had the plague to where now, all of a sudden, I was important. Mm. All because I was good at a sport. And I, I literally latched on to that. And I said, okay, this is my way out. And I latched on to that. And I became a football player and a wrestler. I got scholarships. And here's the thing, right? I mean, everybody goes through some sort of, sort of adversity. I remembered after I was there four years, I was a senior. I had the world by the balls. I mean, literally, I was it. One instant, it was taken away. I walked into the wrestling room. I already played football. I had a great season. I walk into wrestling. I was undefeated that season, had not been beaten. I walk in there for the, after the season, qualifying for state. I walk in, the mats are not taped together, nobody's there. I got people to come in and help me. We start practicing and rolling around. Nothing's put together right. You just rolled the mats out. So we start wrestling, and coach says, you better take them down. I want to do walls, which is a conditioning drill, because I was kind of goofing off. And I remember in one moment, I took a step, went to take them down, I slipped. Kid fell on top of me. Kid was probably uh, he was about 200, 205 pounds. I was probably 170 pounds. Broke my neck. Wow. Boom. Done. I'm laying there on the ground. He's saying, get up. Get up. And I'm saying, I'm getting up. But I ain't moving. And then literally about 30 seconds in, I'm like, I can't move. 30 minutes later, I'm snapped together in a Star Wars board, put a clamp on me, pick me up, put me in the ambulance. They take me to Redding, California. Right then, they told me I broke my neck. I was like, okay, how long am I out for? It's like, doctor's like, um, you broke your neck. I said, oh, I heard that. How long am I out? Now, I'm not moving. They got me clamped down. He's like, uh, let me look at the x-rays and I'll get back to you. Well, he pulls my dad aside. It wasn't my dad then, but he pulls him aside and he explains to him what the, de- the deal is. And you never play contact sports again. You know, he's going to have to think about some other things. And so he comes in and he starts to explain it to me. And I remember thinking to myself, wait a minute, I didn't do anything wrong. Why, what, why is this happening? Wait, what this, this can't be. The only reason why I am where I'm at right now is because I was good at something. And you're telling me I can't do that. Say, no, 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 no. That's not possible. That can't happen. And he's literally, my dad says, listen, you can lay there and pout or you can get up and do something about it. 
And I was like, he's right. Now, I took it different than the way he meant it. But I was like, yeah, he's right. How is this doctor telling me what I can't do? I said, he doesn't know me. He has no idea what I'm willing to do to get to where I want to go. He doesn't know me. So he can't tell me I can't do this. And I literally, in my mind, as soon as I got out of the hospital, I remember I had this halo on, this metal brackets attached to my chest, went through my bone, my hip and my bone, and infused it in my front of my neck here. And I remember I tore the bolts out in my head twice because I was working out one time and I got in a fight another time with the halo on. I tore the bolts out of my head. I mean, I just, it was, I had this mentality like, you can't tell me I can't do something because if it's something I really want, I'm going to do it. All right. Who was it that you saw you said that was a badass? Yeah, I'm going to be something like that. It has been somebody you saw that you said he ain't take shit from nobody. Nobody talks to him any kind of way. Everybody respects him. I want to be like that. Well, I, to be honest with you, um, it wasn't a, a role model. It was more of a concept. Exactly. Uh, I understand. Yeah, it was a concept because the way I grew up was I watched how the gangs worked and I watched how the guys in power worked. And I thought to myself, I ain't nobody's punk, and um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the top of the food chain in that world because that's how it's going to be run. The baddest guy, the toughest guy, the smartest guy. That's what I wanted. Obviously, as things progressed and I started seeing how the real world works, that wasn't the case. I knew those guys were punks. Everybody's going to bend over and get their ass checked when they went into prison. So nobody was, nobody was that tough. Nobody was that bad. Nobody was that much power. So I really realized that early on, and then I thought more like, the sports industry was like, okay, now I see where the power's at. You be good at something, really good at it, and now you have the power. I literally <clears throat> watched you fight, and I remembered the eye contact. I remembered the confidence. I remember beating fighters before you ever walked into the ring. If you watch my fights over in Japan and you watch them really closely, that's how I entered my fights was that I wanted to make sure that the guy that I was fighting knew I was going to fight him, knew I was going to hurt him, and knew I was going to destroy him. And when I looked at him in the eyes, after all the other stuff I said and did, that he looked straight into my eyes, knew I was confident that I was going to hurt him. And a lot of that stuff I got from you when you were fighting, when you walked into the ring, a lot of that stuff I picked up from you. So for me, it was about winning the fight before I ever well, walked into the ring. That was Bruce Lee, winning the fight before, without fighting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That was his philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. Art of war. Yeah. yeah, and it's true because yeah. you can destroy people's minds before they ever get to the ring. Fighting without fighting. Yeah, you know. Mm. Ken Jesus, when did you? Uh, when did you start to gain feeling back in your body in the hospital? Well, I, I started to feel sharp pains going down my arm, mm. and um, I remember when they showed the X-ray. My neck was like this. I mean, it was literally hang up. Normally, it's like that. Well, I'd smash the cartilage because what happened is I pushed my chin down on my sternum, Ugh. and then it came as it stretched. It came back down, wham, and it just it stuck there. And it literally was just. I mean, you're talking. I mean, just inches from me just being paralyzed or dead. Right. And I was very, very fortunate, very blessed uh, that that I was able to recover from that, not only recover from it, but, you know, become the athlete I am today. But it really was the determination in my mind was that, you know, uh, and it came from me, the streets. That's that's where I got it from, was that um, I'm either going to lay down and die or I'm going to stand up and fight. Mm. There's no other there's no there's no in between. You either do it or you don't do it. And that's really what, what it was about was really my experience from the street was like 
You, you I have two options. You can't. You, there's no way you're going to talk your way out of it. There's mm-hmm. no way you're going to be a, 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 a what do you call that? Uh, an ambassador, somebody that has good with words, be able to talk your way out of it because you ain't getting that far. <laughs> so right. either you're going to fight or you're going to get beat up, and and that's just the way it was. Wow. Fuck, man. Can I ask you what is what is your relationship like with Frank? Yeah. Yeah, wow, that's uh, you know I want to love him. Picture your guys together. Yeah, yes, yes. I I, I want to love the guy. I want to help. I want to embrace him. He makes it so hard because I know when my father passed away, when he was passing away, he was in the hospital. He was on respite. We brought him home. He chose that he didn't want to be, you know, doing uh, you know all the things he needed to do to to live because he was pretty bad off. And so I brought him home and uh, and let him pass away at home well and i remember one of his his re- 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 requests were can you get frank i want to talk to him i want to put aside our our difference because they were fighting at the time uh. and so we called and reached out to frank and frank said he'd mourn at home he did not give my father a chance to ask for forgiveness didn't give him a chance to put that aside and and i think today it haunts frank uh, I think that's why he's having issues and the things that he's going through is because of, of that, that he didn't allow, for whatever reason, he didn't allow that to be put aside and, and to make things right. This man, without this man, I wouldn't be where I'm at. And without this man, he wouldn't be where he's at. And for him not to give him that chance, it breaks my heart. I don't hate him. I feel for him because I know the more... The longer he lives, the more he has family and different things that he grows and understands how this works, the more it's going to eat at him that he didn't honor the, the request that, that his father wanted. How many kids did uh, the Shamrock family bring in? Well, I know my dad had over 500 boys wow. uh, within the time, spirit, the time period that we were at the Shamrock Boys Home in uh, Susanville. I know he had it in Anza, California for a short time. I think there was, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, 50 or 60 kids he had there. But he, and not only did he help the kids in the home, he always helping kids in the community, kids that were struggling. They weren't doing well at home. He would invite them out to the house. He'd, he'd give them square meals. He'd let them stay. Um, he was always, he was just one of those kind of guys that was always reaching out and helping kids. Yeah, that was his thing. He just, he knew how to, I mean, listen, nobody knew how to deal with me. I mean, I was, <laughs> yeah. I was a bad kid. Yeah. And he knew how to deal with me. He literally, you know, he. I was the same way. Yeah. He told me the story. I was the same way. When I came to cuts, I saw this big, I mean, I'm from the gut. I saw this 14 Victoria man. I said, wow, I'm going to live here. And I thought about the same thing. I thought about robbing them too. I would have robbed this guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to think that if you're a street person, you see this guy, all this stuff. And he said, no, all this stuff is yours. You live here. You're one of us. But I don't know. I still wanted to rob him. And then he started talking to me about my character and this and that. And he's, you know, and I said, who's this guy? I thought it was some gay guy right. hitting on me or something. So yeah. you look nice. You have, what the fuck is he talking about? Right? What's the game? What's, what's he want? The, what's, what the hell does he want? Yeah. And I said, what's this white guy going to teach me about fighting? Who? What did I fucking find out? You know what I mean? He told me about the character. told me about the spirit of fighting. You know, that's bigger than fighting, the spirit of fighting. You know, and then, ooh, he just, then I wonder, I became a slave. I said, teach me more. Mm-hmm. Well, those two guys seem very similar, Bob Shamrock and Customato, in what they, who they were in the world. 
And I'm interested to hear from you guys. What do you think it is that, and I think I know, but for our audience, what do you think it was that he wanted? Oh, there's no question in my mind that his true intentions were, was to help a troubled youth, somebody that had the ability to do, be, do better things in life. I mean, he didn't reach out to me because um, he thought like, well, I'm just going to you know, help this kid. He saw something in me. He literally saw something that was special. And he goes, you know, it'd be a shame that somebody doesn't reach out and actually help this kid reach his potential because he can be great. And I know that's what he thought. And so for him to really, the difference between everyone else was that they weren't talking a game. They weren't telling you something without producing something. Exactly. And he literally produced my anger and my frustration. And he showed me how to take all of that, 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 that frustration and that ability to want to kill and hurt people. And he literally said, here. Go ahead. Take it out on these guys here that are playing football. Take it out on these guys here that are wrestling. But here's the key. You got to stay within the rules. Like you can go as hard as you want. You can be as angry as you want. You can be as frustrated as you want. You can, you can explode hard as you want. <laughs> but stay within that whistle. Stay within that matted area. And you can go as hard as you want and be whoever you want to be within that rule. And I, it was hard for me, no question, because I lost control a lot of times. But he'd always bring me back and said, hey, you know, this is, this is the rules right here. This is where you got to be. He said, I'm not telling you you can't do it. I'm saying you got to do it within this. And then once I started catching on to that and all of a sudden I became relevant and I was like, whoa, I'm important. Like these guys like me. And then literally they didn't just like me as a person, but they liked what I could do for them. That's fine because now I understood and my father helped me understand that was like, they want something from you. You want something from them. So you guys work with each other and get what you want. Exactly. If Cuss was happy, that made me happy. If me knocking out people made him happy, fuck, I want to do it. I want to knock out five people a day. Really, because that made him happy. That was my job. I just wanted him to be happy. Him being happy made me happy. The pride on their face, like oh, when I that's see my dad. Yeah. Like whenever I go in and pin a guy, I beat two state champions and I wasn't even ranked. I mean I was I was just Same got thing. there. And he'd be on the phone talking to his friend. His friend's an old <laughs> yeah. friend. Oh, he beat him and this and that. And no. he, he doesn't even have a lot of fights. He just started and he beat the champion of the neighborhood. He did this and that. He's so proud. Oh, that made your made you like everything that you had gone through and everything that you were, it, all of a sudden you became loved and and you were important to this human being, and it, it, it wasn't selfish. It was they were truly happy for you. Mm. Big yeah. time. And Ken, you've really you've taken that and you've paid that forward, right? I mean, you have your own group homes now for boys. I did. And oh, you I, did. I ran those homes, and and uh, we gave kids an outlet. Same thing. Wanted to try to. How direct do you them. do that nowadays with the way the laws are, and yeah. the way kids lie, and this and that, and they, and you're you're famous guy and polarized. That that's crazy. I could never. My wife loves the, when kids come to visit my kid over the house. I'm nervous. Yeah. When their friends come over the house, I don't know what these kids. I don't know what they, their parents their parents planned them to do. I don't know. They may think we're wealthy. We live in this neighborhood in this big fucking house. They may think we have more money. Than we actually have say Mike Tyson grabbed your ass. <laughs> that's I'm, it. Not, I'm 11 years old. He grabbed my ass. That's that, you're speaking truth right there, brother. That's the truth. Mike Tyson's known to grab asses. That's the truth, he's probably, man. He's like underage girls now. This is nine. This is nine. It's funny too, because like I mean, you think about that, man, and, and that's that's you, you. People are so 
out to be able to just, I mean, you look at social media, I yeah. mean, everybody's out to try to get a buck by suing or, yeah. or, or, or posting something Make a name somebody, for themselves, right? yeah. And it's just sick, man. And, and that's, that's the truth, man. You got to watch yourself. Well, I tell my wife, don't leave me alone in here with this fucking man. <laughs> right. It's clean. Wait till she leaves, then you can leave. Don't leave me alone with this woman. This will ruin our life, baby. All this so you shit gotta we leave. work for. All this shit we work for can go. One word can lose. All this shit we get hard we work for. It came from nothing, baby. Uh, then imagine this, this one word can lose all this shit we got. Uh, all they got to say is one word, man. It don't got to be true. You know, all it has to do is say it and the rumors go. They don't even got to go to court. They don't have to do anything but just say it and it's everywhere. Mm. It's all in social media, whether it's true or not true, it was said. And you're dead. No more, no more doing the um, Walton commercials for you, buddy. No more Kentucky Fried Chicken commercials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No more All-American guy. Hey, well, they, they, hey, I, I heard Pornhub's hiring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, Ken, that's hysterical. Um, Don't ask me how I know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what are you up to these days, man? What do you spend your time on? Well, I tell you what, man, something that um, I think hopefully Mike might be interested in is I went up to uh, Columbia and Medellin, and I did stem cells. Mm. And, oh, man. You know, I'm one of those kind of guys. People say, "Hey, do do this, man. It's just a game changer." And I was like, "Yeah, whatever." I heard that a million times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Okay, well, then I actually got footage from Matt Hughes, Chuck mm. Liddell, yeah, Matt Kevin Nash." Bill, I saw his story, a documentary, unbelievable. Mm. And that's what sold me. I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'll give it a try." So I go up there and I do this thing, and they put me under. They give me all these stem cells. I wake up one morning. And they tell me you're going to be sore in these different joint areas. And I was like, okay. So I wake up and I'm going to get up, go to the bathroom. It's like three, four in the morning. I get in, go to the bathroom and I go back down to lay in bed. And I was like, wait a minute. It's like my shoulders, man, use your shoulder, everything. But where I get really stiff is my lower back and my neck because I broke my neck twice and my lower back once. And the middle of my back's all jacked up. And I'm like, there's no pain. I got no, infl- I got no inflammation. I was like, okay, I'm going to go to bed. I'm dreaming. I wake up about nine o'clock next morning. And I'm like, I wake up again. And I'm like, I don't have any inflammation. I'm still sore in the shoulders and everything, but they warned that. And I was like, wow, this, okay, I'm going to slow down on this. I'm not going to jump out of here and say everything's working. So I wait a week. I couldn't raise my arms above my head. I go into the airport. I go this high because I've, I've got a titanium ball on my shoulder. I mean, completely reconstructed. So I have a hard time moving my arms. Within a week to two weeks, bam, I'm like, wow, this is a game changer. Literally, I went up to Australia and I did a 40-minute match with Dan Severn. I'd have never been able to do that before these stem cell treatments. I've been out, and now I'm going to do it three weeks now. I'm supposed to see more results. David Truett said, hey, this is just the beginning, man. You're going to see so many results within six months that it's going to be a game changer. It already is for me. So I'm like, man, if I can share this with people and let them know how it's done to me and it can help them, man, I'm all about that. So I hope that maybe you'll get a chance to at least see what that is because I, I really truly, and I'm not saying this just to say it, I'm telling you, it is a game changer. Well, we'll put his number down there. Well, I'm, I'm going to give that to you for sure. But one thing, too, I want to talk about is I want to talk about my love, right? Mm, please. I fought in the very first UFC. Yeah. yeah. I fought over in Japan with open-hand strikes. I fought with four-ounce gloves on. I fought Muay Thai. I've done it all. I fought everything. I fought boxing. I sparred with guys to help them get ready for their fights. I've done it all. 
And the one thing that I fell in love with was bare knuckle. And the reason why I fell in love with it was because I felt like, like this is just pure. I mean, it's man against man, God-given talent. And that there's nothing there that's going to get in the way. I mean, you hit it with a jab, it counts, right? Anytime you hit somebody, it counts. But if you miss it, it also counts because it works against you. You hurt your hand. So I fell in love with that, man. And I said, you know, if I ever get a chance to bring back bare knuckle, because they started putting four ounce on glove, four ounce gloves on guys and started saying, we're going to make it safer. Well, the reality of that's not true. They wanted to protect the guys that were winning, the guys that were knocking people out because they knew that they could hit them in the back of the head, the side of the head, and they wouldn't damage their hand. And, and so they made it into a $4 billion business. Kudos. Good job. But that's not what I fell in love with. I fell in love with the bare knuckle part because it was so pure. And I said, you know, I get a chance to do that. I'm going to bring it back. Two guys are going to get in the ring. They're going to stand toe to toe or whatever they want to do. Move, move their feet, however they want to do it. But it's going to stay on their feet. Not going to the ground. Bare knuckle fighting. I'm bringing it back. People kept screaming, stand them up, stand them up. Well, we're standing them up. Nice, man. Why do you think we, we love fighting so much? <laughs> I think it's because we're good at it. <laughs> we want something from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It Absolutely. gives us something. We want something from it. It gives us status. Mm. Since the beginning of time, the strongest man in the world, Achilles. Since the, since Achilles, everybody wanted to be the toughest man in the world. King of the hill. Yeah. Respect. Yeah. Respect. Um, then it works against you after you get old. <laughs> they start looking at you and calling yeah. you names. You're like, what happened to my respect? <laughs> no, even that becomes a form of respect. Right. Well, yes, yes. Depending even on that. Even yeah. that becomes a form of yeah. respect. Yeah. Well, I've seen this emergence of bare knuckle, and I think it's really interesting. And so you you believe that, or maybe the science says, because it would make sense. I mean, you put four ounce, you put weighted, you know, accessories on your on your weapons, and that's going to add damage. You know, it's like a football helmet and football. You know, really, you're just putting a, t- a, a spear on that thing. Well, you know, giving a guy a chance to do more damage without hurting their hand. But you know, in in, in England, bare knuckle fighting is just brilliant. Mm. Is it know? quicker? It's quicker. It is so fast. Malinaji went in and fought uh, Lobov. Um, I think it was one of Conor McGregor's guys, and it was really boxing against uh, MMA. And when a boxer goes into a bare knuckle fight, Malinaji, I think, made a mistake because he thought bare knuckle would be like boxing. Well. That's crazy because you got to think about in boxing, you got eight ounce gloves. Well, those eight ounce gloves are a lot bigger. So you could pick a boom, you can block. Bare knuckle, you can't block. Mm. You know, so yeah. you use your footwork. You got to be moved more. And uh, Malaji came in there with the wrong idea. He thought he could block. Yep. And he got, he got, he got lit up. And um, so I think that's, I really think that's the exciting part of it because it's almost like in the very beginning days with UFC when they first started out. It's like now we have that same concept where you're trying to figure out everybody says boxing going to adapt better or MMA might adapt better. And I'm thinking to myself, I think it's the individual. I think it's the character of an individual that says, hey, I'm going to come in. I'm going to learn because it's different. And, and a lot of these guys want to try to think it's similar or the same. It's not. Bare knuckle is his own beast. It's different. It's faster from the time the bell rings to the end of the bell in the third round. It's on. There's no feeling out process. It's not a turn. It's like when he fought. 
And it was like, the bell on, go. Right? I mean, he'd have yeah. done great. Yeah. But now a lot of guys, they always want to kind of get that one or two rounds and feel it out. Well, in Baron Uncle, you take one or two rounds and feel it out, and you're done. Game mm-hmm. over. Yeah. What, what's your feeling on it, Mike? It's interesting. With the rules that they have, it's not really like bare-knuckle fighting, boxing. They had different rules. Mm. You know, they didn't have the um, Marcus of Queensberry three minutes and one minute rest. If you knock the guy down in 1880, if you knock him down, that was the end of the round. So you knock the guy down ten times, you knock, that's ten rounds. Mm. You know, so they had to change the rules. But um, I think it's pretty awesome. Mm. It, has a, it, has, um, it has a base. Yeah. People wants to see it. Yeah, I've seen that. You know that. what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's necessary. Well, it seems very well, I exciting. I don't go like, well, one, one fighting sport is worse than another sport, but we're fighting. Mm-hmm. You can die fighting. That's an unwritten law. When we sign the contract, that's a law that we know because we've seen it over and over then as growing up being fighters. That's the unwritten law. You can die training or in a fight. And it's, I'm glad he said that because I hear a lot of people trying to say bare knuckles more dangerous or boxing's more dangerous because more people have died. Well, bare knuckles have been it's been here forever, but it's just starting it's back starting again. To come back or MMA is to me. It's this man. Every single combat sport, whether it's football, I mean, even in soccer, I mean, yeah. there's danger in any athletic sport. So when people talk about this, yeah, people can get hurt. Yeah, somebody may die. But yeah. look at it like this. Anybody that steps in the ring signs a contract and understands what they're getting into. There's a trade-off. Like we talked about earlier, there's a status about being a fighter, about being the best in the world, about combat, Achilles being on top of the world. There's a trade-off to that, too. You can die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to do it, but, but listen, if you want the but, status. Well, yeah, that's too, but listen to this, too. Look at my life. I live in Brownsville, Brooklyn. I'm on cut-off welfare. I'm going to die in this building if I don't rob and steal or get shot from stealing somebody's shit or get caught and get put to jail for the rest of my life. I'm going to die and get paid money. My life is worth it. I thought my, I forfeited my life for it. Mm-hmm. If I die, fuck it. I signed the contract. Drop don't you think mic. you know how many people all over the world? <laughs> you don't think you think, you know how many old people all over the world that have no shit say that and they got talent? Some people don't even know how to fight. They say, fuck it. I do it for money. Yeah. Yeah, you have to get the money, please. Yeah. Nobody care about dying. That's what it comes to the concept. The, when the real concept, no one cares about dying when I can eat. There's no thought. I mean, no, you don't think about no that. About that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that argument is, it goes nowhere. You know, because like you said, I mean, that's that's part of why people do it. You know, is because the stakes are so high. And you look at the why people watch it. Because the stakes are so high. Right. It's, it's exciting. And this is why I think that Bare Knuckle is really starting to take off is because it is fast. Mm-hmm. People, when they sit down, want to be – especially in today's generation with all the social media and everything that's happening out there, they don't want to wait for something to happen. They don't want to wait for a storyline to play out. They want it now. Yeah. And Bare Knuckle is that kind of fighting where it's happening now. Yeah. Are you still fighting, Ken? No, I don't. You know, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny when people say that because, like, I uh, there's other people that have mentioned it on their shows, and I, people are Asian still fighting. Well, you're in great fight. shape, man. I'm I, just curious. You're yeah, in fucking no, great shape. I wrestle. Like, I got a show coming out of Impact on the 20th of September, where I'm uh, not 20th of September, 20th of October. I, I don't even remember. I got so much stuff going on, but I'm I'm wrestling for Impact. I got a couple shows I'm doing with them. I'm excited to to be in the ring and wrestle. But Mark <coughs> Coleman came out and started saying stuff about fighting me bare knuckle and me. 
and Mark are friends. We're good friends. And me and him were joking about it. He says, hey, dude, we just run with this. So we ran with it, right? He said, yeah. That's but not funny. once did I ever say I was fighting. He did, but I never said that, right? And so people just picked it up and started thinking we we're going to fight. Then they started saying, well, he's too old to fight. I don't know what he's thinking. Maybe he needs the money. And they're all speculating on this. You're changing yeah. my name. I'm going, hey. Ask me. Yeah. Ask me. I never said I was. Why are you yeah. saying I, Why are you saying that? Come They're on, scared man. of you, man. Oh my goodness! All the fucking talking heads are scared. Help me, little bitches. <laughs> Help me. Yeah. So tell me, what was that guy that killed himself? Kevin, the black guy, Kevin something. Randleman. Randleman. What yeah. do you think about? Did he have mental illness? Did something happen? What happened? To him? I used yeah. to watch him fight a minute. Yeah, he was, he was a beast. Amazing he fight. was an he was animal, beast. man. A amazing great fighter. wrestler. Let's look at an amazing speed. Yeah. He's fast. Yeah. Wow, he's smart. a great wrestler, man. Good dude, too. He was not a punk. He was a nice guy. And I really hated to see that happen. But, you know, I mean, in this business, man, it really, when you, especially when you get long in the tooth and you start moving out of that and you're trying to find yourself in another career when everybody wants you and you're important and then you get to the end of your career and you just got a small amount of people that kind of want to step on you as you're going out the door and i think that's kind of what happened was it just he just didn't there was no one there to keep him lifted up and he got depressed because it's a hard thing to do i mean i mean i'm sure mike can speak to this too because it was tough for me I'm surprised I didn't kill myself when I was <laughs> oh, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's hard for a fighter who is the best in the world, literally the best in the world, and then to say, Okay, you're not relevant anymore. That is and that's a hard thing. Really no, no, forget not being relevant and they're saying they treat you like you're not relevant. Booyah. Booyah right there. And the, friends, that's the people treatment. that you gave free tickets with brought them in your party, <laughs> your after party, let them come in your entourage, let them sleep over your house. They don't give fuck a fuck. Room. Yeah. No, they would never fuck their nasty ass and you let somebody you just because they're around you to get somebody to fuck them, the nasty, no good motherfucker. Then they say, Fuck you, Mike. That's the truth, man. I tell you, there's a lot of Klingons. Yeah. The guys that just like are in your camp that constantly are there when the party's happening and everything's going well, the minute it turns, they spit on you. And that is that's so hard to deal with because very hard. I know with me and I know with they Mike. They talk so bad about you. Yeah. You took care of their family, their mother. They didn't know what out of the country were. You took care of them, you put them on planes, probably plane. you did mm-hmm. nice thing and he says you're a piece of shit. They might testify you against you in court. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I can't be saying that. It pierces my heart oh, because those man. are people you care about. And then all of a sudden they turn on oh, you. It breaks your heart. It yeah. does. It hurts you. Imagine if the woman that you loved and told everything about her, how you loved her, and she's the love of your life, and then you see her on the stand saying, you're a piece of shit, you're a abuser, you're mm. nothing, this and that. Oh, God. I'm such a sucker. <laughs> it's so interesting, you know, that people do that. It hurts just hearing him say that because it brings back memories, you know. And you're oh, just no, thinking, I mean, that's a memory that we all do. Money attracts those kind of people, mm. you know. And you just don't see the colors until it's gone. Until you don't, until you're out, until you're you're you struggling don't yourself. See the colors, you don't want to see. It's mm. too good to be true. You don't want to make. You don't want to see this lie as what it is. Too good mm. to expose it for what it is. I don't even want to believe you're lying to me. I don't believe. I don't want to believe you fucking this guy behind my back. Mm. I don't even want to believe it. I know you're telling me, but I don't believe it. <laughs> don't want to deal with yeah, it. Yeah, don't want you to deal, deal with it. it. I don't believe yeah. it. You didn't do it. No, yeah. you didn't, bitch. Just move on, man. It hurts too much. I don't want to see that. Mm. I don't want to deal with it. Oh. And, and listen, and I, and back then, I thought I was tough. Mm. I thought I was a badass until my heart got broken. And I said, fuck. I ain't shit. 
That's what, man. I, I just just hearing. I mean, I like I said. I just. I mean, it's ditto, right? I mean, yeah. you just feel it. Yeah. You yeah. kind of just go through those thoughts again of where you were at and the people that you thought were your friends and Some you thought you scared, loved even you. Think and, about them to bring up the fucking vision. Of, wow, mm. these motherfuckers. I love them too. Mm. Still yeah. love them, but they just rotten to this, toxic to you. you can't help them. They kill you. That's the, I think that's the hardest part, like he just said, that you still love them, you still care about them, and there's a lot of them, and you, and you, you just kind of rationalize it in your head, like, well, maybe I was part of the problem, and maybe, you, maybe I was, like, because I wasn't the nicest person either when I was at the top, but at the same time, man, it's just, you just can't believe that people that were that close to you on the inner circle would literally just kick you in the nuts and just not care, just literally not yeah. care. And then we have to look at it from this perspective. And go outside of ourselves and say, no, this is what you need to grow. Mm. We know what you need. You don't know what you need, motherfucker. This is what you need to grow. You know, when God talks to us, we know it's him, but we don't know how to, we don't know how to define it's him. Mm. You know, we don't know how to say, hey, God just told me this because that sounds like bullshit. God didn't tell me shit, but he did just tell me this. Who just said it? Who said it? I'm not smart enough to think this shit up. Then who said it? Mm. Yeah. Right? Who said it? Yeah. Yeah, when you start thinking it was you. That's when things start going wrong because you ain't yeah. that smart. No, I'm, I know I'm not that fucking smart. I'm not that I know smart. All this shit that I got going on, all this shit that's uh, working on, this shit ain't me. I ain't no, thinking of this shit. No, it's too deep for me. Yeah. It's just transmissions, <laughs> man. Yeah. I ain't thinking about this shit. It's no. the transmissions we receive. Yeah. Wow, man. The well, antennas are working. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> Ken, is there anything else you want to hit before we wrap it up? I want people to know about you, where you at, how to get in contact with you. Yeah, kingshamrock.com and um, also uh, Valor BK. Valor BK. Yeah, that's out. where we have all of our, our Instagram, social media sites. You can go there and check us out. You want to get tickets, go check that out. Awesome. Valor BK, man, we're going to bring back Bare Knuckle. Stand them up and let them fight. Well, listen, how, big bare knuckle to me. Don't get promoted enough. How do you get promoted? How do you promote it? I mean, at a big level. Because it's not getting promoted enough. Well, I think it's basically. The first time we came out for that first week, they promoted the shit. They must have spent every nickel they had in their pants to promote it. Cause when they, was that? When they first, when they had those first bottles. Like maybe a year yeah, ago? Almost a year. Not exactly. Six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Eight months ago, they started having all the fights. So yeah. everybody knew about it. The Octagon, that square, everybody was fighting in there. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then it stopped. So now you're just coming back. Yeah, I think what we got to do is basically, and this has been our approach since the beginning, is is that we got to educate people on what they're watching. Once we can start getting the education out there that this is not barbaric and this isn't something that is coming out from the streets and it's not sanctioned and it's not professional. We're bringing in professional fighters. And to be able to understand that people say, oh, well, it's bare knuckle. Oh, somebody's going to get hurt. And the reality of it is it's not because when you're fighting bare knuckle, you can break your hands. So you got to ease up on your punches. Mm. And plus, in bare knuckle fighting, this is something I do agree because I know about bare knuckle. Mostly um, they stop the fight because the guys get cut. Bleeding. Yeah. So there ain't nobody taking a beating. Right. You get three times, four times, boom, oh, shit, start opening up. You're not defending yourself. You're going to start opening up. So even though it looks it. more violent. It's just more blood. Because of the blood. Yeah, but. It's just more not cuts. not taking beatings. Yeah. yeah. Visually. Yeah. Imagine taking three. But nobody, ain't nobody in this court going to let a fight bare knuckle take three rounds of beating. Right, right. No, not <laughs> even just, two rounds. Yeah, yeah. One round might be, they might get too ugly on one. Nobody's going to take a beating. Well, can I, let me get a little deeper it. than that, too. I'm not with Think about this, and it just happened about a month ago where you got a guy that's really tough, 
right? And so this guy knocks him down three or four times, but the guy keeps getting up. And because he's so tough and that he has a chin, he keeps getting up. But his he's taking brain damage, but you can't oh, see yeah, it. You can't see it. Yeah. So, but with bare knuckle, that will never happen because when a punch lands like those Going punches down. were landing, guys are going to get cut. They're going to get broken noses. There's going to be blood, and they're going to stop the fight. Mm. As opposed to boxing gloves, where you can hit a guy a hundred times, and he may be cut once, but he just took a hundred brain shots. Right. Yeah. 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 So that's very good. The purpose of, and it can happen, somebody, but the purpose of really where people get hurt is because um, the continual pounding Mm -hmm. over time. Yeah. In the gym and everything, on yeah. over time, they get aneurysm. Sometimes people are born with aneurysm, and they, and they may die the first time you get hit, and they may they get you may die after twenty years of getting hit. Mm-hmm. No one knows when you're going to die, but you're well, going to die. Even in sparring, like oh. I mean, bare knuckle, you don't spar, right? You use double end bags. You try to be more accurate. You don't need power. And then when you spar with actual gloves on, you're not trying to hit hard because yeah. all you're trying to do is get your footwork in and exactly. your handling. So the sparring is much much less than it would be if you were trying to train for an MMA fight or a boxing fight because you have to get those rounds in that are aggressive. With bare knuckle, you don't, you don't have to because you know that when you hit somebody with your fists, they will count. So you don't have to go 15 rounds or 12 rounds or five five-minute rounds. It's three three-minute rounds, and it, from the bell to the bell, fight is on. Very interesting, very exciting. We need an American champion for we could challenge an English champion. That's where the money's going to come. And England yeah. been doing it for 500 mm. years, something like that. What was LL's ancestor's name? Oh, his, Tom. Tom John, John L. Sullivan? No, Tom Moonlinick. He was before oh. John L. Sullivan. He's like, yeah, he's like um, the 16th. Tom Molyneux. Tom Molyneux was 16, 15, 16, 10. Yeah. Well, we that. have two, two guys from England in our tournament. In fact, we got one former champion from England in his Godbeard. He's fighting in this bare knuckle tournament. So, His name's Godbeard. Godbeard, yeah, good name, right? Wow, <laughs> intense name. Right. Imagine when he goes to church. Yeah, fuck, man. <laughs> we in America don't have nothing on toughness when it comes to the English. Mm. They've been I don't doing know, it. We might be better fighters, but I'm talking about pure toughness. Mm. Like walking through a fucking bar and mm. just slug out a bunch of big bad mother. No, they got that. They got to eat with that. Yeah, it's that gypsy, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they yeah. little no, gypsy circuit. No, any of them. Yeah. There's all, a whole bunch of fucking English motherfuckers that are a bunch fighters. of fucking fighters. Yeah. And yeah. don't give a fuck if they get killed or knocked out cold in the street. Just going for it. They're used to it, man. Yeah, they're, they're used doing to it for years. They've been in so many wars over the years of their existence. Yeah. Can wow. you imagine? Well, it's interesting to think about that and tie it to the United Kingdom, the Mm landmass, and how they're such a small piece of land, yet they have so much significance throughout the history. They're the connections to the the Romans and the Greeks. Yeah, yeah, it's very... Rich in history, too, man. Yes. Man, well, Ken, it's been an absolute honor, man, to have you here. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Amazing to share your story and your insight. It's really powerful stuff. I hope you and Frank get together and show love. You know, maybe you can go to the pops um, grave site together. Yeah, yeah. that would be beautiful. That's that's something I hope for. You know, like I said, I'm not a person who wants to hold. I want to make sure that 
I don't have anything when I move on in life that I have to have grudges or hold grudges because I'm not about that. Listen, Ken, right? Believe it or not, right? We're not. We're almost. It's almost over for us. Yeah, we're, yeah you know, that's right. Our ego probably tells us we're the baddest, we're healthy, we look good, but it's almost over. Yeah. We're here for for yeah. a short time, man. Yeah, yeah. it's almost over. It's a blink. Can't be mad. Can't go to. Can't leave here being mad at somebody we love. That's it, brother. Yeah. No, no question. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, I had beefs with Tito Ortiz. I had beefs with Dana. I went to every single one of those guys and said, "Hey, man, I'm sorry," and put our beefs behind us because I felt like. I was involved in this great thing that people love so much and that the fans deserve to be able to go to events and not have to worry about guys that have feuds with one another. So that was important to me to make sure that we, we bury that and that we can move on and just just be friends with each other so the fans can enjoy the history. Well, amazing episode. Thank you again, Ken. It's really an honor to have you here. Mike, great episode. Incredible. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Hot Boxing. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson. Check out our website, hotboxingpodcast.com. A lot of great stuff there. All the episodes, merch, etc. Good stuff. I'm Evan Britton. I'm Mike Tyson. And I'm Ken Shamrock. Peace. Peace out, everybody. Out of here. 